It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. Got a comment? Email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Cast your vote for the show on Podcast Alley, podcastalley.greatdetectives.net. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Well, I hinted that I had something a little extra special, and I do. It's a guest appearance by Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Uh, that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. In fact, when I first heard about it, I debated doing this instead of the episode of Sherlock Holmes. And then I listened to it, and it was only four and a half minutes long, this particular segment we're about to play. This is an appearance by Rathbone and Bruce on uh, Request Performance. Now, those of you who are old-time radio aficionados uh, will have heard of a show called Command Performance. Command Performance was a show put on during the war years for our troops, uh, with things they wanted to hear and to see. Uh, and you have many great stars, Humphrey Bogart, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby, just a huge cast of stars doing different things uh, that the troops requested. Well, World War II uh, ended, uh, but the idea of request performance, of taking listeners' uh, requests and putting them on the air, that became uh, that became a th- theme of a show started by CBS, uh, produced by uh, William uh, Robeson. Uh, and this episode of Request Performance comes on November 4th. And uh, Rathbone and Bruce made their trip from uh, Mutual over to CBS to do a little segment on Request Performance. And uh, those of you who uh, who like uh, Dick Powell like this, because it also has Dick Powell in it as Richard Rogue. 
Uh, and we, we begin with June Allison reading the request to set up Rathbone and Bruce's performance. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and we will take a listen and then we'll come back and I'll have a few words about today's program on Sherlock Holmes. Here's a letter from Mr. D. McGee of Kansas City, Missouri. He says, Dear Request Performance, I heard you say on your program that you can turn the tables on people. How about doing a Sherlock Holmes story where Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes switch parts? Can we do it, Dick? Can we do it? Hmm. Don't forget, Junie, that as Richard Rogue, I'm an active member of the exalted and distinguished fraternity of radio detectives. Well, give. The first thing to do is to ask the man who plays the role of Sherlock Holmes, Basil Rathbone. I'll be delighted to assist in answering uh, Mr. McGee's request, if it's all right with Dr. Watson. Well, what about it, Nigel Bruce? I say, you mean I have to play Sherlock Holmes and solve the crime and get the girl and all that sort of thing? That's right, and Basil Rathbone will play Dr. Watson. <laughs> I say, this ought to be a jolly bit of fun, jolly. Uh, Basil, may I borrow your pipe and your hound's tooth jacket? Certainly, and here's my dear stalker hat. Fine, I'll, I'll slip it on. There. How do I look in this dear stalker? Very nice. But uh, tilt it down a bit over your left antler. <laughs> there we are. Like this? That's fine, old boy. Music, old boy. Well, here I am in my lodgings in Baker Street with my good friend Dr. Watson beside me. Splendid characterization so far. <laughs> well, here we go again. I say, Watson, hand me my magnifying glass. Well, magnifying glass. What in the world are you doing? I'm playing Dr. Watson. But, uh, what are you saying? I don't know. <laughs> what have you been saying all these years? What a pity, my dear Watson, we don't have a fascinating crime to solve. Yes, it's a pity. It's a great... <laughs> pity. I think someone has been murdered. Amazing, Holmes. How, 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 how are you alive with that deduction? Elementary, my dear Watson, if you will just open that door, you will find the mortal remains of a plumpish woman of 48 with graying hair, hazel eyes, pale complexion, a blue dress, and a pink hat. Well, I'll open the door. Good gracious, for once, Holmes, you're wrong. Wrong? Well, it's a red hat. <laughs> there is only one thing to do. I'll reconstruct the crime. What's no fella? Just place yourself outside the door, exactly where the corpse was standing. <laughs> now, I shall close the door. <laughs> Just as I thought. Dead. <laughs> Dead. <laughs> I see that. That's splendid. Now I can play Sherlock Holmes all the time. <laughs> what blows in here, Joes? A big pardon? Well, how come L. Rathbone is so horizontal? I don't quite follow you, Oba. Look, I'm a detective on the radio, too. What are you two squares up to? I was recreating a... Uh, a crime in order to solve it. Oh, Jenny, dear. You've got bats in your badges, boys. Recreating the crime got to go by with a bustle. 
Up to go by? Sure, that went out with button shoes. You're singing a tune from Saskatoon. Oh, really? Saskatoon? Tell me, old chap, uh, what's your name? Richard Rogue, Private Eye, and Detective Extraordinary. If some ace wants to dip a Betsy in your medulla, just ring Rogue. Well, why should anybody want to Betsy my medulla? <laughs> well, you can never tell when some con you've helped can me bust out of the poke and try to stash your shiver in your chubby pink and white. My dear fellow... I am convinced that you'll go every bit as far in radio as I have. What makes you think so? Nobody can understand you either. <laughs> Welcome back. And you didn't think that Basil Rathbone could do comedy. That was hilarious. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll slake the thirst of uh, Richard Rogue fans. But before we get into today's uh, episode of Sherlock Holmes, I do want to ever so briefly remind you about Netflix. You like Dick Powell and June Allison and Basil Rathbone? Well, then you can enjoy their movies. Uh, Netflix has more than 90,000 titles available to you. So from the old uh, silent films all the way through today's latest thrillers, you can choose what you want to watch based on your preferences at a reasonable price. So you can try it out for two weeks risk-free. Go to netflix.greatdetectives.net or go to greatdetectives.net. Click on the Netflix banner in the sidebar. Uh, but we're going to get into today's episode of Sherlock Holmes. So November 4th, they did request performance. November 5th, they were right back on uh, Mutual in their normal time slot which was uh, 8.30 to 9, so this must have been before that whole uh, curfew thing, on Monday nights. And this episode occurred on November the 5th. And if you're any expert on British history, you know that November the 5th was Guy Fawkes Day. And so, uh, probably one of the very few Guy Fawkes old-time radio episodes we're about to listen to. Here is November the 5th. From the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine... Invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his good friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And if you ask me, the best way to listen to that story is to do it with a glass of port wine right handy. Petri, California port. No kidding, that Petri port is just swell for any time good friends get together to talk things over. You couldn't ask for a more delicious wine. Why, just looking at the deep, rich red color of that Petri port tells you that Here's a wine with a flavor that comes right from the heart of sun-ripened grapes. If you haven't ever tried Petri Port, why not get a bottle and have a glass after dinner tomorrow night? It's a perfect after-dinner wine, you know. And share that port with your family and your friends. And don't forget, when you serve Petri Port, you can serve it proudly. Because after all, the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now let's keep our weekly appointment. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Draw up a chair. Thank you. That's it. By the way, do you know what date it is? Um, November 5th, isn't it? That's right. In England, it's known as Guy Fawkes Day. Have you ever heard of it? 
Something to do with a gunpowder plot, isn't it? Yes, Mr. Bartell, it is. And as Sherlock Holmes and I had a very unusual adventure on the 5th of November many years ago, it seems appropriate that I should tell you about it tonight. Before I begin, I think it might help you to appreciate the true flavor of the story if I tell you a little about the origin and the customs of Guy Fawkes Day. That's well idea, Dr. Watson. Well, my boy, on November the 5th, 1605, exactly 340 years ago today... King James I was about to attend the opening of, of Parliament when a plot was discovered to blow up the House of Lords during the ceremony. And the chief conspirator was Guy Fawkes, I suppose? Yes, he was. He was captured in a vault immediately below the House of Lords, a vault full of barrels of gunpowder. Of course, he and his fellow conspirators were executed. And ever since then, November the 5th has been known as Guy Fawkes Day. Well, uh, how's it celebrated, Doctor? Well, it's a great time for the youngsters, Mr. Bartell. They black their faces, throng the streets, begging for pennies, and build bonfires in which to burn effigies of Guy Fawkes. These effigies are life-sized dummies, stuffed with straw and dressed in old clothes. The children parade them in the streets, chanting rhymes. Well, now, let me see. Please to remember the 5th of November. Guy Fawkes Guy, hit him in the eye. <laughs> the kids must have quite a time. Sort of like um, Halloween, huh, Doctor? Yes, not unlike it, my boy. Well, now that I've told you something about the customs of Guy Fawkes Day, I'll get on with my story. It began just before lunch, I remember, on November the 5th, 1899. The day was foggy and cold, and Holmes and I seated each side of a blazing fire in our Baker Street rooms. From outside, we could hear the sound of voices laughing and singing. Suddenly, Holmes rose and crossed to the window, opened it... And looked out. Then he turned to me and spoke. Children having a great time, Watson, aren't they? Yes, it cost me a shilling worth of pennies to, to walk here this morning. Has it occurred to you, Watson, that the gunpowder plot offers very promising material to the speculative mind? In what way, Holmes? I say it's confoundedly chilly in here. Don't you think you might uh, shut that window? Sorry, old chap. As I was saying, the gunpowder plot offers very promising material to the speculative mind. I've made something of a study of the historical records of the case. There is more than a little evidence to suggest that King James was never in any real danger. Never in any danger? Well, what makes you say that? Knowledge of the proposed dastardly scheme came to light early. That James Stuart, King of England, the possessor of a shrewd and diabolical mind, used the spectacular discovery of the plot to try and bolster his waning popularity as well as to justify increased religious persecutions. Well, that's the first I've heard of it, Holmes. I dare say, old fellow, but it's true just the same. I'm afraid James Stewart, King of England, was an unscrupulous tyrant. Come in. Oh, yes, Mrs. Hudson? There was a gentleman to see you, Mr. Holmes. He said it was very important. He asked me to give you his card. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Oh. Ask him to come up, please, will you? Aye, sir. Who is it, Holmes? A gentleman with a remarkably fine sense of timing. Read this card for yourself. Let's have a look. Mr. James Stewart. Great Scott, that's, that's an extraordinary coincidence that he should arrive just as we're talking about James Stewart, King of England. Come in. Mr. James Stewart. How do you do, Mr. Stewart? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? How do you do? Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. I'm walking about in mortal fear of my life. 
You've got to help me. Mr. Stewart, I suggest that you sit down. I'll do anything in my power to help you, but you must compose yourself first and tell me quietly what it is that's frightening you. How can I compose myself when I may be dead within a few hours? No, 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 Mr. Stewart. I'm a doctor. I really think if I were to give you a sedative that you'd find... How can you talk of sedatives when I... My heart. Doctor. My heart. All right, all right. Now, here, let me help you with the sofa. There you are now. Imagine that's that's it. It. Yes, Holmes, and I'll give him some digitalis. A fellow with a bad heart like this shouldn't allow himself to get so excited. Here you are, Mr. Stewart. Make this. That's it. That's it. And now this, Mr. Stewart. What is it? It's digitalis. Uh, very well. Yeah, now. Feel better, sir? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Yes, I do. Uh, you're right. I shouldn't get so excited. My heart can't stand it, you know. Watson, is he well enough to talk, do you think? Yes, if he doesn't excite himself again. I'll be careful, Doctor. I'll take it quietly. Uh, Mr. Holmes, when you saw my card just now, did it strike any responsive chord? <laughs> Naturally, sir. Who could fail to be intrigued when a James Stewart calls to see one on Guy Fawkes Day? Uh, it isn't just coincidence that my name is James Stewart. I've got royal blood in my veins. People know of it. And that's another reason they're out to kill me. They're jealous of my heritage. Every instinct I have is a royal one. Uh, no, you gentlemen know that falconry is a king's sport. And my greatest hobby is the breeding and the training of uh, Mr. falcons. Stewart, please, Mr. Stewart, owing to the state of your health, I suggest that you be as economical as possible in your explanation. In fact, I think it might be better if I were to question you. Uh, very well, Mr. Holmes. Now, you say that your life is in danger. What evidence do you have to substantiate that claim? Uh, my cousin, Guy Falconry, has threatened it. Uh, you see, Mr. Holmes, he and I are the only heirs to a wealthy uncle. His fortune will go to the surviving heir. If I were dead, Guy would inherit everything. Seems to me, Mr. Stewart, that you should have applied to Scotland Yard for protection. I did, Dr. Watson. Only a few days ago, I saw a certain inspector, uh, Strad, I think his name was, and he laughed at my fears. Oh, Strad, eh? <laughs> and he laughed, did he? Well, then in that case, there may be something in your story, sir. <laughs> You say that your cousin has threatened to kill you. Has he indicated the method he intends to employ? Aye, uh, he has. And it's a devilish plot. Guy has a bitter, twisted sense of humor, gentlemen, even when he's planning as dastardly a thing as a murder. I am James Stewart. He is Guy Falkenby, which is near enough to Guy Fox. Today is the 5th of November, and he's planning to blow me up. <laughs> oh, come, 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 sir. You can't expect us to believe that. <laughs> but it's true. He warned me. Uh, and the celebrations that are going on in the streets of London today would make a rare clock for his activities. Uh, I must confess, Mr. Stewart, that I find your story most unconvincing. All your evidence appears to depend on conversations held between you and this cousin of yours. You have no facts, sir, to substantiate your claims. But I have. Then please let us hear them. I live at 23 Cavendish Square. A week ago, the house next door to me was let to a new tenant. Almost immediately, workmen became very active there. They were digging in the cellars, Mr. Holmes. I could hear the sounds of picks and shovels through the walls. Digging in the cellars? That does sound significant, doesn't it, Holmes? Extremely. Did you observe any other activities of the workmen, Mr. Stewart? Aye, Mr. Holmes. Vans have been delivering large packing cases to the basement during the last two days. Mm -hmm. I know what's in them, too. It's gunpowder. I tell you, they're planning to blow me up today. No, 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 no. Steady, sir. Steady, steady, steady. You mustn't excite yourself again. What shall I do, Mr. Holmes? I think, sir, it would be better for you to rest here for a while and then go to a nearby hotel. I would suggest the, uh, sharp spread. And wait there until you hear from us. 
And where are you gentlemen going? Watson and I, after donning suitable disguises, will visit the house adjoining yours in Cavendish Square. I think an examination of the cellar there might prove most illuminating. Oh, this must be in the house, all right, Holmes. The empty packing cases are still by the foot of the basement steps. Come on, Watson. Let's go down and explore. Pardon my soul. I, I feel a little self-conscious of <laughs> these clothes. No need to, my dear chap. You look a most authentic inspector of plumbing. <laughs> if anyone challenges us, uh, you'd better let me do the talking, though. I think my accent might be a little more convincing. Shh. Listen. I can't hear anything. Exactly. Then we may reasonably assume that either the workmen are observing the Guy Fawkes holiday or that their work is done. Come on, let's try this door. It's unlocked. Yes. This is too easy, Watson. We must be prepared for a trap. Come on. I've got my revolver handy if there's there's any trouble. Don't use it until I tell you to. Remember, we're supposed to be plumbing inspectors. It's pitch black in here. I can't see a thing. Strike a match. See if you can find a gas jet. Strike a match and the cellar may be full of gunpowder. Oh, don't take the risk, old chap. Oh, here's a gas jet. I light it. That's better. Now we can see a little. Uh-huh. I think the workmen have completed their job. See that new wood forming a crude door in the corner over there? Where does it lead to, do you suppose? Let's find out. Also unlocked. And here's a miner's lantern waiting conveniently for us on this ledge. Oh, this is ridiculous easy. Now I'm sure it's a trap. I like the lantern. Great Scott, it's, it's a tunnel. Yes, it's a tunnel leading into Mr. Stewart's house next door. Let's explore it. Look, Holmes. Look at the barrels. That they're full of gunpowder. Undoubtedly. You will observe the fuses as well. Yes, the complete equipment for another gunpowder plot. I can't believe my eyes. What a fantastic plan. But how could the murderer be certain that Stuart would be killed in the explosion? I think that's easily answered, Watson. Remember Mr. Stuart's bad heart? In his present state of apprehension, an exploding firecracker would be enough to kill him. Oh, I suppose so. Hello? Hello? What's this lying on the floor? Curious? Funny strip of silk with a little ring on the end. Let me see it, Watson. Aha. Uh-huh. This seems to be familiar. By Jove. I believe it's a Jess. A Jess? What on sir? The last piece of evidence necessary to confirm the conclusion. Come out of there! I think the hands above your heads! I've got a revolver! Right, your governor. We ain't doing no harm. Now remember, Watson. I'll do the talking. Come on! Aren't you come? Well, well. You're a comical-looking pair. What are you doing in there? Uh, me and my mate got a message to come over here and see to the plumbing, mister. Plumbers, eh? You have any identification? Yes, sir. Here's my badge. We'll inspect us for the London County Council. Oh, that's all right, my man. I saw the basement door open and I, I thought burglars might be here. <laughs> You're the owner of this house, sir? Yes, but my agent let it recently to some tenants who've been behaving rather queerly, I'm told. I came round here to see what was happening. Uh, if you're the owner, sir, perhaps you can give me some uh, facts for me records. 
Not so many records, you know. What do you want to know? Well, your name, please, sir. Falkenby. Guy Falkenby. Uh, look here. Uh, Alfie. Alfie, uh, hold your nose. What did he say? Uh, nothing, sir, nothing. He's got bad hiccups. That for, well, bad him for months now. Can't stop him. Alfie, here, give me a pencil, will you? <laughs> Thank you, Al. Now, sir, your name is Guy Falkenby. Uh, what's the name of the, uh, the tenant this house is let to? There are three of them. Oh, do you know their names, sir? Got to have them for me records, you see. Yes, the names are Winter, Rokewood, and Kane. Uh, I... Oh, yes. Uh, Winter, Rokewood, and Canes. That's right, sir. Sounds <laughs> as if there might be a firm of solicitors, don't they, sir? Well, perhaps they are. I haven't met them. Uh, just one more question, sir, and then I needn't bother you no more. Well, what is it? My religion or my grandmother's maiden name? <laughs> no, sir. No, nothing like that. I just wondered who lived in the house next door on that side. We've had a complaint from there to there. Pipes is bunged up. My cousin lives there. His name's James Stewart. Mr. James Stewart, eh? I'm much obliged, sir. Me and my mate will be going next door. Then. Come on, Alfie. No, I'm not surprised his pipes are bunged up, as you so graphically put it. He's a great one for practical jokes about the house. As a matter of fact, he's planning one of them tonight. Uh, oh, well, that's no concern of yours. By the way, my man, what's your name? Uh, Nivet, sir. Tom Nivet. Come on, Alfie. We've got work to do. <laughs> I wish you'd tell me what's going on. Why have we taken this cab back to Baker Street? Get out of these clothes. They serve their purpose. Now there's more serious work afoot. Well, I'm still confused about our interview with Guy Falkenberg. Why did you say your name was Tom Nivett? What touch of vanity, old fellow. Vanity? How do you mean? Well, consider the names in this case so far, Watson. James Stewart says that he's been threatened by Guy Falkenberg. A name, as Mr. Stewart points out, not unlike Guy Fawkes. Do you recall the names of the three tenants that Mr. Falkenby gave us a few minutes ago? Yes. Winter, Rokewood, and Keynes. But what's that got to do with it? A great deal, my dear fellow. Thomas Winter, Ambrose Rokewood, and Robert Keynes were the three men executed with Guy Fawkes in the original gunpowder plot in 1605. Good Lord. Where does Tom Nivett, the, the name you gave yourself, fit into the fixture? Thomas Nivett was the Westminster magistrate who arrested the conspirators. Since the would-be murderer has such an academic knowledge of the original plot, I thought I'd let him know that he was up against an opponent worthy of his skill. We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few seconds. Just about time for me to remind you that if you want a wine that's sure to please the ladies, you can't mix with Petri California Muscatel. That's because Petri Muscatel is a golden wine with one of the most luscious flavors you ever tasted. Did you ever taste a big, plump muscat grape that's ripened in the sun? If you have, then you know what to expect when you taste Petri Muscatel. It's a wonderful wine. Perfect after dinner and swell when company comes. Just remember that, won't you? Petri Muscatel. Well, Doctor, you and Mr. Holmes were certainly having yourselves quite a Guy Fawkes day. Uh, what happened when you got back to Baker Street? We quickly changed out of our disguises and back into our ordinary clothes. I was still pretty much in the dark, as usual. And I kept questioning Holmes as, uh, as to our next move. He was in a state of suppressed excitement. And it was obvious as he spoke to me that he was anxious to be off. What's Dordal? There's so much work ahead of us. Don't do. I'm not dawdling. I'm just as fast as I can. What's our next move, anyway? Well, we must split our forces. 
Just get hold of my band of street urchins, the Baker Street Irregulars. I'm going to surround Mr. Stewart's house in Cavendish Square, and they'll be invaluable for that purpose. Well, what do you want me to do? Go to Parsley Hotel and collect Mr. Stewart, then return with him to his house and wait me there. I shall join you as soon as I've rounded up the Irregulars, but I must warn you. Don't leave Mr. Stewart for a moment. Don't let him out of your sight until you see me again. Of course I won't, Holmes, but, uh, well, uh, I must say, the idea of all that gunpowder in the cellar doesn't make me feel any oh, too have happy. Have faith in me, old chap. Have huh? faith in me. You know, I wouldn't expose you to any danger if I could avoid it. And I assure you that I shall join you and Mr. Stewart very shortly. You have your revolver? Yes, of course. Good. And, uh, give Mr. Stewart this revolver, will you? Tell him that I insist that he carries it. I fear that his own has probably been tempered with. Right, you are, Holmes. I'll see that he has it. This is a strange business, I must say. That guy Falkenberry seemed such a decent sort of fellow. Yes, he appeared to be a most amiable fellow, didn't he? This is indeed an unusual case, Watson. We're up against one of the most sinister and twisted antagonists that we've ever met. Well, old chap, I'm leaving now. I'll join you soon. And don't forget, stay close to Mr. Stewart. Stay very close to him. <laughs> Dr. Watson, I wish your friend were here. No, no, no. Don't get so excited, Mr. Stewart. You'll be here any moment now. You've still got the revolver that I gave you? Yes, it's in my pocket. But what's the good of a revolver if there should be an explosion? Answer me that if you can. Now, now, you must have faith in Mr. Holmes, sir. He's arranging now to have this house of yours surrounded by his band of street urchins. They'll see that no one gets to the cellar next door to light the fuses. A bunch of children. How can they do anything? Uh, you don't know the Baker Street Irregulars, Mr. Stewart. And it's a perfect day for them to operate. As black-faced boys begging for pennies, they'd pass unnoticed anywhere. I hope you're right. But I have a premonition, Doctor... There's going to be a tragedy. I know it. Now, take it easy, sir. Remember your heart. You're in splendid hands when Sherlock Holmes is on the case. Here he is now. Holmes, I say, I'm glad to see you. You received your visitor yet? Visitor? We've seen no one. Now, be on the alert. I've just been questioning the boys surrounding this house. A few moments ago, some children pulled a small cart up to the back door. A cart containing a life-sized dummy. My irregulars thought that it was an effigy on its way to a bomb oh, Why shouldn't it be, Holmes? I have reason to believe that it's someone visiting you in disguise, Mr. Stewart. A visitor who is mounting the back stairs at this very moment. <laughs> You've got to stand by me, Holmes. You've got to protect Don't me. Don't worry, sir. Right. Come in. Look! Look at that apparition! Cut. <laughs> a guy Fawkes down. A dark lantern in his hand and... And it's walking. And also talking, I trust. Keep away from me. I got a revolver. for victorious fate. If you won't give me one, I'll take two. The better for me and the worse for you. It's Guy Falkenberg. Keep away from me, do you hear? The better for me and the worse for you. All right, then. I'm going to fire. <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Stewart, the revolver I've provided for you seems to be unloaded. How very odd. What in fun is all this about? You've just witnessed an attempted murder, Watson. Murder? What are you talking about? This is a game. James and I had it arranged, the whole thing. You may have thought it was a game, Mr. Falkenberg, but I assure you that your cousin... Grab Mr. Stewart, Watson. He seems to be leading us. Leave me alone. Take your hands off me. I... Ah, 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 my heart. Here, help. Oh, help me put him on the sofa. Oh, oh. That's it. Oh. I'll get him some digitalis. Look, I don't want to appear unnecessarily stupid, but will someone tell me what this is all about? With pleasure, Mr. Falkenberg. Your cousin had planned one of the most fantastic murder plots that I've ever encountered came to us with the story that you had threatened his life. But that's ridiculous. I'm very fond of him. Of course it's ridiculous. The whole plot was ridiculous. He leased the house next door. 
had a tunnel dug and gunpowder and fuses planted there. Even entered the name of the tenants as Winter, Rokewood, and Keynes to give the apparent plot a further authenticity. You mean my cousin was the real tenant? Certainly he was. However, he was clumsy enough to drop that uh, piece of silk with the wire ring on the end that you found in the cellar, Watson. The thing you called a jess. And what's a jess? It's a strap that goes round a falcon's leg to which its leash is fastened. You will remember that Mr. Stewart informed us that falconry is his hobby. And it therefore indicated that he had been in the cellar and consequently must have known about the whole plot. And all he was trying to do was to build up in our minds the belief that his cousin was trying to kill him. Exactly, my dear fellow. Had we believed him, of course, he could have shot you just now, Mr. Falconby, in apparent self-defense. Good Lord, what a fantastic plot. I, I still can't quite believe Mr. it. Mr. Falconby, why are you dressed as a Guy Fawkes dummy? Well, it was James's idea. He said that, that he was going to, uh, to dress up too and that we were to go round the bonfires tonight and frighten people by, by appearing as live dummies. But the last message he sent told me to come up here, that, that we'd play a practical joke on a couple of friends of his. And did he provide you with the costume that you're wearing? Yes, as a matter of fact, he did. Have you searched the pockets for any weapons? No, but I will. All right, and while you're doing that, I'll examine this dark lantern. How's your patient, Watson? Well, I've given him some digitalis. And now I'll get him some brandy. I can't find anything in the pockets. Here's the answer, my friends. Look here. Inside the lantern is a dagger. Your cousin planted it there to substantiate the claim that you were trying to kill him. Had his plans worked, you would have been dead, Mr. Falkenberg, before you could have told us the truth. Here, come back here, Mr. Stewart. James! He slipped out of the door. I found it. He's taking the heart attack. Come on, what's not him? find him in this mark. Walter is a dangerous man. There's no knowing what he may do. Where are the irregulars? Ah, there's Wiggins. Wiggins! Hello, Mr. Evans. Wiggins, Martin. Did you see a man run out of that house a few minutes ago? No, Hello, Charlie. Hello, Charlie. Did you see a man run through this crowd a few minutes ago? A tallish man with a gray mustache? Yes, I did. A man came running out of the house over there. That's the house. Where'd he go? He ran down toward where the shops are. And he's still out there, he did. The one we are going to burn in a bonfire. I tried to stop him, but he got away. Holmes, Holmes, look up there on the roof. There's a figure. Joe, I believe it's James Stewart. That's the man. He's the one that stole our dummy. He's standing up on the roof. He's going to jump. If he does, he's going to land in a bonfire. There he goes. He is jumping. Right into the middle of the fire. It's awful. He'll be burned to death. Don't worry, Wiggins. There wasn't a man who fell into the bonfire. What do you mean? From the gyrations that the figure performed as it fell, my dear Watson, I'm convinced that Mr. Stewart threw the stolen dummy to try and put us off the track. Then Stewart's still up there. He is, Watson. Come on, old boy. It's up on the rooftops for us. Up on the rooftops. <laughs> Watson, let me help you up. Can you reach my hand? Yeah, I got it. 
All right, then. Up you come. Come on. That's it. Phew. Seems to me that fire escapes must be designed for, for giants. Keep your eyes skinned, old fellow. Stuart's a dangerous man. Might be hiding behind those chimney stacks. Come on. Upon my soul, this is a strange place to be on Guy Fawkes' night. Yes, a comprehensive case, Watson. Starts in a cellar and ends on a rooftop. Look, Holmes. By the parapet there. The crumpled body of Mr. Stewart. Looks to me as if it... Yes. He's dead, Holmes. Well, it's not surprising. The effort of carrying the dummy up here and throwing it, combined with his own state of excitement, were too much for him. No, frankly, I can't say that I'm sorry. No, he planned a murder. If it hadn't been for you, he would have succeeded. An extraordinary case, Holmes. Yes, old chap, and one that should long make us remember the 5th of November. By Joe, yes. Please to remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. Doctor, as you boys would say, that story was a bit of exciting, what? Yes, and even now I sort of lose my breath when I remember climbing that fire escape. You know, Doctor, those two fellows certainly went out of their way to celebrate Guy Fawkes Day. Now, take me, when I got a little celebrating to do, I, well, I like to do it quietly. Some friends, a glass of port. Yeah, port, of course. What else? <laughs> Leave it to you. No matter what the occasion is, you can somehow make it the perfect occasion for Petri wine. <laughs> How do you do it, old fellow? <laughs> Don't ask me how I do it. You mean, how does the Petri family do it? How can they make such swell wine? Well, the answer is experience. The Petri family has been making fine wine for generations. And ever since they first established the Petri business way back in the 1800s, they've handed on down from father to son, from father to son, the fine art of turning luscious, sun-ripened California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. That's why when you want a wine for any occasion, before dinner, with your meals, or after dinner, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what's Sherlock Holmes' adventure you're going to tell us next week? An old favorite, Mr. Bartell, a story that concerns strange music that was heard in a lonely house in the English countryside, and of the living death that stalked there. I call it... The Adventure of the Speckled Band. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in this Arthur Conan Doyle story... The Adventure of the Devil's Foot. Music was by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Uh, interesting uh, telling of history here. My only problem with this episode is that by Holmes being this upfront about it, it kind of uh, tipped, tipped the writer's hands and set our expectations for the fact that uh, Mr. Stewart was not really going to be uh, under attack but was up to something nefarious. But other than that, this was a great episode. Nice chase. And Basil Rathbone got to show off some of his acting uh, talent. Uh, a master of dialect. We're reminded of that. Uh, as you hear him do the plumbing inspector. That was classic. So good show. We got, we're got. we now going to get into listener comments and feedback. Comment from Sean who writes, I know you caught some flack for the old intro music, but I have to tell you, at least it sort of fit with the general theme. The new music, not so much. I hate to sound harsh, but it sounds like the result of someone taking a $15 Casio keyboard to powwow. Bob emails in, I just wanted to let you know that I've been loving the show. I went through all of your archives while working on the film Marmaduke as an effects artist. I've come to appreciate both your commentary, which is not too long before a show, and your care in the selection of the show. I get a kick out of them. I was surprised that you changed the opening theme music. Perhaps you'd explain that and I missed I have to say I'm more of a fan of the older theme music. However, that's a small issue for the great service you provide. Thanks again, Bob Powell. Um, well, thanks, Bob. Uh, we actually kind of had a miscommunication between myself and uh, Andrew Rhines, who did the sound. I uh, thought that I wanted to change the theme music on this show. I wanted to change it on Dragnet, not on here. I was perfectly happy with what we had, and we've gone back to that. And by the way, I did actually like the music. It's got a... Uh, uh, nice, I, I like the beat, and uh, thank you to uh, Ken Curlin, KenCurlin.com, who's got a CD out, Songs for Spring. Uh, for those of you who enjoyed the theme music, uh, Ken Curlin really is one of the better uh, writers uh, or composers of Podsafe music. So, All right, we got a couple quick comments from Podcast Alley. I've been listening, subscribing for a while, started with the Dragnet series. Uh, sometimes the intro and stuff after is too long, but sometimes it helps give me a better sense of the media uh, within the time period. Thanks. Well, thank you. That's fair enough. And uh, one more comment. Keep up the great old-time radio shows. Hopefully next school year while in China, I can still get your podcast. I hope to introduce old-time radio to the Chinese college students. Well, thanks so much for that comment. Regarding getting the show in China, we have had downloads in the past that have come from China 
on the old Tom Dragnet show. None currently, and I don't know whether that's just because there were people who were listening in China and uh, are no longer there, um, or whether there's been some change in government access to uh, podcasts. But I hope it does work out for you. And it'd be great to be able to uh, share this uh, cultural exchange with uh, with uh, people in China. Uh, give them a chance to uh, hear some of this stuff. So all the best to you. I hope everything goes well. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, comments, email me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Cast your vote for the show on Podcast Alley, podcastalley.greatdetectives.net. And uh, remember, you can always follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.